Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, this is part two of apologetics, and we're going to take a look at RTB's core values in light of this discussion. Uh, Ken, on the first uh, program, you introduced people to the word apologetics and talked about its connection to theology, and maybe you can recap a little bit of that as a lead-in to what RTB uh, presents as part of the overall apologetics landscape. Yes, very good. We, uh, in our first program on this topic, uh, we talked, as you mentioned, uh, the New Testament word, uh, apologia or apologia, uh, to, give a, to give a reason defense. Uh, we mentioned that uh, apologetics is a enterprise that seeks to defend the truth claims of Christianity. And uh, we talked a little bit about what Christianity is, that um, Alistair McGrath and his terrific little introduction to Christianity says that Christianity is a set of beliefs. So if you're an apologist, you defend those beliefs, the Trinity, the incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection, etc., salvation by grace. But it's also a collection of values. Christians believe particular things about human beings. And a distinctive feature there is that uh, uh, Christians have ethics like all other people, Jews, uh, Muslims, secular but our ethics are driven by our theological views. That is, we think murder is wrong uh, because people are made in the image of God. And therefore, to murder someone made in the image of God is really not only to steal the person's life, but is also an attack upon God, who represents the ultimate image. And we, we talked about uh, some various passages about how apologetics can be done, how it should be done with gentleness, with respect. Uh, we focus on truth claims rather than attacking the character of people. We also talked a little bit about some of the modes of persuasion, that, uh, that, that when someone comes to believe the truth of Christianity, it, uh, it involves uh, trusting the source who is communicating the message about the Christian faith, it also involves presenting arguments, uh, the logos kind of context, uh, and it involves uh, the Holy Spirit uh, being involved. So now in this program, Joe, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to say, well, Reasons to Believe, an organization that's been around uh, since the mid-1980s that was founded by astronomer Hugh Ross, um, uh, and now has uh, quite an influence uh, both here in America and around the world. Um, I, I uh, know that recently RTB has connected with uh, what we call Reasons to Believe Asia Pacific. So uh, there are many chapters and branches of this apologetic organization called Reason to Believe. But now I want to talk about some of the distinctive features. It's not that RTB always does things that are completely different, but I, but I think it has, uh, it has an interesting flavor, uh, and it focuses uh, more on some things than it does others. 
All right. I'm sure people will be looking forward to this because they may think they uh, have an idea what uh, uh, RTB brings to the table, but uh, now they can hear it straight from you as a member of the scholar team. Yeah, and I think that, uh, Joe, I think that's often right. When I, uh, over my uh, time here at Reasons to Believe, and I'm working on year number 26, it, boy, it seems like it's gone pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, when I often uh, am out talking uh, to people and they ask me, well, they're Christian friends or acquaintances, and they'll say, well, where do you work, Ken? And I say, well, I work at Reasons to Believe. And they say, ah, Hugh Ross. They connect the name Hugh Ross, and appropriately so, the, the founder. Uh, sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, I, I thought Hugh believed this. And I say, well, uh, not not exactly right. Sometimes I have to say, you know, for example, I meet so many different people who uh, say that Hugh Ross and Reasons to Believe believe that God used evolution to create humanity. So they place you in the category of a theistic evolutionist or an evolutionary creationist. And I say, well, uh, that's not correct. Uh, Hugh Ross believes in an old earth and RTB believes in an old earth and an old universe, which we share in common with most, uh, with, with theistic evolutionists and, and even uh, secular scientists. But we believe, and Hugh Ross believes that uh, God created Adam in a direct and personal way. So Hopefully, some of the things I'm going to say today, and I, Joe and Dave, I invite you to jump in here and and uh, help me to present uh, this case. Maybe some of the things I'm going to say today you might uh, discover to to be new. So let's begin uh, at the beginning, and I, I think I think Hugh and uh, uh, I think all of RTB would say probably the place to begin when we talk about uh, RTB's apologetic emphasis, uh, which would also include our core values, I, I think it begins with the idea of the two books perspective. Now, two books, is that the, is that the Mormon idea of two books? Is that the Islamic view of I, two books? No, it's not. It's the historic Christian view of two books. And that takes us back to this kind of... Uh, um, a metaphor, to use a metaphor that that God has revealed Himself, God has unveiled Himself in in two ways. Uh, one way He has revealed Himself uh, is in the universe that He made. He's revealed Himself in the world that He made. Um, if we believe in creation ex nihilo, which I believe is both a biblical view and a Christian view, appropriately then a Christian view, that only the triune God existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an infinite, eternal, tri-spiritual being. And then God calls into existence out of or from nothing uh, all contingent reality. So God created the world, but as he created the world, he uh, imbued that world with evidences and elements of himself. And so the world in which we live is like a book 
it's not exactly a book. It doesn't have a, a spine. I don't trust anything that doesn't have a spine, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm equivocating there. Uh, the book of nature is not like a physical book. It doesn't have a spine. It doesn't have pages. But it is it is a metaphorical book. Um, the 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 universe, the cosmos, is like a repository of knowledge. It's it's like a library. And God has revealed himself in, in the natural world. So what we discover in science, what we discover in philosophy, what we encounter in this world speaks about the reality of the creator. Now, there's another book, and this is a literal book in which God has revealed himself propositionally. He's revealed himself in terms of words and uh, propositions. And that's the biblical book. Uh, That's the book that would include the Hebrew Old Testament or what the Jews call the Tanakh and would include also the New Testament. So God's revealed himself in both of these ways. And of course, uh, uh, this idea of the two books, it is sometimes controversial, but I think for the most part, um, this has been deeply rooted in in Christian history, this little analogy or this metaphor that God has revealed himself in both a book and something like a book or the two books idea, it goes back very early. Um, it not, not only do I find it uh, in people like Galileo, not only do I find it in Francis Bacon, not only do I find it in uh, Basil the Great, not only do I find it in St. Augustine, I find it in the Apostolic Fathers, who were the generation of Christians following the Apostles. But I find it even further. I find it in the New Testament. I find it in the Bible. So the two books idea is not a clever uh, invention of Uh, the development of Christianity or a group of scientists or philosophers, the two books idea is a biblical idea. It comes out of scripture itself. For example, scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And then in Psalm 19 there, it talks about the, the book of nature and then it talks about the literal book. And I think we also see this uh, in the New Testament. Well, that's a unique feature of RTB, and it, it really is a foundation uh, for our scientists, for our philosophers. We say, look, uh, if, if the Bible is true, if Christianity is true, then we should be able to discover God, that God has made himself known in the book of scripture. And when we study the book of nature, they will cohere. They they come, they both come from the, the hand of God. They're both written by God. And so they will cohere. Now, um, that is a view that's been held by so many different people. It is, in, in fact, a biblical teaching. It goes back deep into Christian uh, history, Christian church history. 
But you know, there are some who challenge that idea. Uh, we have, for example, uh, some of our Christian friends who uh, we might identify as young earth Christians. Uh, Christians do have differing ideas about the age of the earth. Uh, some think that the universe, like RTB does, is an ancient universe. Dave, you might want to give me more precision, but maybe the earth being about four and a half billion years old, that the universe maybe being 13, close to 14 billion years ago. Whereas some would say that's mistaken, that if you go to the Bible, uh, you will discover that the evidence for an old earth that are that are apparently found in the book of nature conflict with what scripture says. Uh, some young earthers would say, for example, if you want to know how old the earth is or how old Adam was, you look at the genealogies. You have Adam followed by the various patriarchs. And if you uh, if you look at that, you can you can come to a, a basic earth and universe that's only several thousand years old. Well, that would be a young earth perspective. Now, with the idea of the two books, it is possible to be a young earther and be a two books person. But uh, one of the distinctive features of the RTB view is that the book of nature and the book of scripture are not going to conflict. Maybe a young earth would say, well, if they're properly interpreted, they won't conflict. Uh, but the Bible teaches a young earth. And if, and if nature, if science teaches an old earth, then there is a real conflict. Comments. Do you think that's right at the head of the, the RTB perspective? Yeah, I just would say that there's this, in the, in the natural scientific view, um, it's not just people making up numbers. There's an enormous amount of evidence uh, that supports the idea that the earth is old and that the universe is old. We have learned so much from astronomy and from geology that it, it's very hard for a person who has any interest in science and the idea that we can learn something from the creation by studying it, how they can, you know, uh, not see that the earth and the universe as we know it is has the age that uh, that are being you know advertised by the scientific community. So you you have this tension, uh, and you know the way in which young earthers try to get around it is by perhaps one way is by God making things look older than they really are, but that's not a very satisfactory viewpoint. We think of God as revealing truth, not uh, hiding things. So, uh, you know, there's just this tension yeah, that yeah. you have to kind of ignore if you want to stick with a young earth viewpoint. So uh, in, a, in a young earth perspective, uh, you, you could have a two books model, although there are some, there are some young earth Christian thinkers, apologists, uh, scientists who would say, uh, no, uh, the two books idea is confused. Um, they would take the view that there's one book. Uh, it's not to say they deny the, the created order, 
but they say we take our marching orders from from the Bible. And as you mentioned, uh, this age of the universe is controversial in uh, in many Christian contexts. And of course, one way one way to combat the idea that uh, that science indicates an ancient universe is, as you said, some would say maybe the universe just appears to be old. Mm. Uh, but in reality, it is uh, it is young. Um, I like what Jeff Swearing says here on this topic that you know all of the all of the clocks that we look at in nature, and again, you're getting this from a, a philosopher, not a scientist. But in relaying Jeff Swearing's communication, in all of the particular areas of science that point to a particular age, they all agree. Uh, that the universe is ancient rather than new, so that that would be distinctive of RTB. And it, uh, and again, Joe can, can uh, just another possible challenge that might come up, particularly for people who might be new to RTB or this podcast. Uh, critics of RTB and this uh, two books model might say you don't have a high enough view of scripture. Uh, you have imported secular science into the equation and made scripture to fit that that uh, importation. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment on that idea. It's a, a criticism that's out there. It is. And, and you know what? It's a fair one. Um, obviously, what goes into the two books model is God's revealed himself in a propositional revelation, a literal book called the Bible. But then he's also revealed himself in a figurative book, the book of nature. But here's the big challenge. Both of those books have to be interpreted. Um, I have to, if I'm a scientist, I have to explore. Uh, I have to study astronomy. I have to study physics. I have to study biology, zoology, all of these uh, disciplines within science. And I draw the data, and then I have to make an interpretation of the data. And sometimes it, the, the interpretation involves philosophical presuppositions. So there is a sense, Joe, in which... Uh, I agree. Also, uh, but what I would also say is that the Bible needs to be interpreted. Uh, it uh, sometimes I have spoken to, um, I, and I think I think clearly they're they're not. Uh, how do I put this in the in the best sense of the term? I have talked with some young Earth creationists who are not formal theologians. They're they're lay people. Uh, just like I'm a layman in so many different areas, all of us are laymen in one area or another. But they would say, look, I don't interpret the Bible, I just read it. Um, you, you don't have to interpret it, it says what it says. Well, look, uh, every, every text, every book has to be interpreted. You have to look, um, you have to look at the genre of literature, you have to look at the language, you have to look at the context. So if every book has to be interpreted, well, the Bible is one more of those books that have to be interpreted. And uh, for centuries, long before uh, Christianity came along, uh, the, the rabbis and Hebrews of the Old Testament were poring over the text. Uh, so there is a matter of interpretation. And here's where I want 
maybe to draw a place where young earth Christians and old earth Christians can come together. Um, yeah, we may differ over the implications relating to the age of the universe. Uh, but for the most part, uh, orthodox or conservative uh, young earthers and old earthers, they agree that God is the hand behind the universe. If you take a secular point of view, uh, there's no God behind the universe. Uh, how did human beings come to be? Well, uh, you know, material uh, physical causes without a, a guiding, without a uh, intelligent hand. But here, if I could now bring in a third kind of Christian perspective on science, you have a young earth view, you have an old earth view, but then you have maybe what we would call an evolutionary creationist point of view. And the evolutionary creationists would say, well, I agree with the old earthers that the, that the universe is not young. But I want to make my own point, and that is, I think God, God used in an intelligent, a an intelligent, uh, designed evolution, not an impersonal evolution, but a personal evolution. There was a mind that used uh, the product of evolution. So you've got some competing views, but. I do want to say this. Um, I think it's easy to then think, wow, it seems like you got three different Christianities, young earth, old earth, evolutionary creationist. No, I think all three branch agree on a great deal. Um, we do have we do have some important differences, however. Now, an implication of that two books idea is that we have a high view of both scripture and science, or we have a at RTB, we have a high view of the biblical revelation and the figurative revelation that we discover through science. And so I'd like to one, just one further comment about uh, the view taken by those who don't believe in old earth. And that is that they say you can't trust science. You can't trust the scientist. How can you take the opinions of a secular scientist who doesn't submit his life to God and compare it with scripture and, and reinterpret scripture in their view uh, in light of what they discover. And that's a good question. I mean, you know, you, as you've said multiple times, uh, where we get our information from is very important, whether it's a trustworthy source or not. And so you wanna ask the question appropriately, are secular scientists uh, a safe bet here? Can we trust what they say? And I think the answer to that is, uh, it depends on what they're talking about. If they're talking about discovery, scientific experiment, observational evidence, I think that you can trust it because for the most part, these are hardworking people who are trying to make meaningful discoveries where you have to be careful is what the interpretation they bring to it. Yeah. And it may very well be that in some areas, their interpretation is not in any way conflicting with scripture. When it's just describing, for instance, whether the, uh, the earth goes around the sun or whether the sun goes around the earth. I mean, I think that's, that's not a scriptural issue, really, ultimately. 
that's a question of physics and, and observational evidence. But when it maybe relates to uh, something to do with the nature of man, for instance, and is man a sinner or not, well, then you have issues of whether they're interpreting things correctly or not. Maybe you want to further comment on that, Ken. I'm really glad you brought it up, and it and it it's it's better coming from you than me with your background in science. But I think you've hit it on the head, Dave, and and that is uh, there's kind of the idea that circulates that um, well, can you really trust anybody other than a a biblical Christian? And you know, I like to say, look. Um, the Bible says everybody's made in the image of God. The Bible says everybody gets general revelation. That's revelation that comes in the book of nature. And every everybody is a recipient of common grace. That is the good Lord. Uh, his, his common grace is, is universal. Uh, all of us benefit from the sunshine. All of us benefit uh, from the rain. I, th I think what we want to underscore here is that uh, non-Christians get some things wrong, but they get many things right. And I've always used the illustration or the example that if I was riding on a bus with Albert Einstein, um, I, I, I wouldn't begin the discussion with what areas of your life are you suppressing the truth and unrighteousness with? <laughs> I, I think I'd rather begin by saying, um, uh, Dr. Einstein, um, uh, long after you died, a few decades after you died, you were you were um, picked as the man of the century. And they said the reason they did that is because you allowed human beings to have uh, a whole new view of the universe. How did how did you come up with this? Uh, you know, I, I might then begin saying, well, why does math work? And uh, I might want to move to to the worldview. But, you know, I, I do want to give some credit to, to the concern that young earthers raise. And that is that everybody has a philosophy, a worldview. I, anybody who has the capacity to think uh, about philosophical ideas has a worldview. And so you're right, Dave, it's it's not like the Christian and the non-Christian gets different data. Uh, they get the same data, but then when they began to draw the implications of it, the philosophical uh, presuppositions are, are very different. So, uh, Joe, I think that that's, that's a needed point to say, look, um, uh, it's not correct to say that Christians and non-Christians uh, have a complete difference. Uh, part of part of the difference comes into their their philosophical interpretation. Well, with all of that tension we have uh, raised, one more comment. Yeah, jump in, Lewis in Mere Christianity, in the second part, section two of Christianity, entitled "What Christians Believe." He makes a statement near the beginning of that section, which, by, by the way, I think is a most fantastic sermon that you can possibly read that communicates Lewis's heart. But at the beginning, he says, when he was an atheist, 
this is a, a little different subject, but I think the same principle. When he's an atheist, he had to re totally reject all religious viewpoints as wrong. But he said when he became a Christian, he didn't have to do that anymore. He had to acknowledge that of these various religions, they always they got some things right. Yeah. And they got some things wrong. Yeah. But he didn't have to believe anymore that it was totally wrong. He could acknowledge that there was truth in every one of these different religions. Now, you had to be discerning, of course, yeah. but but I think that this is an important principle that we as Christians need to acknowledge and, re and apply. And I think if, uh, I think Dave, if you look at the world's religions, you come to that, that same idea that, uh, you know, let's look at the major religions of the world, other than Christianity for the moment, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, you know, they all have the second five of the Ten Commandments. Right. Um, you know, so they get certain things right, you know, when it comes to morality, um, being faithful to your spouse, not lying, not stealing. Um, now they get other things wrong. Um, you know, one version of Buddhism, the the original uh, Theravada or Theravada Buddhism, they say, well, maybe there's no God at all. Then Hinduism comes along and it's kind of a collection of religion. I like what Gerald McDermott says on that score, that when you think about the the religion of Hinduism, you may want to think of it really as a, a collection of religions. But there are forms of Hinduism that say, well, uh, maybe there are 330 million gods or maybe the universe is God. So it's exactly as you say that when we look at the different worldviews, uh, the religions, etc., um, they get some things right and yet they have false gods false christ false gospels and so you 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 mentioned the d word discernment the need to uh work through now in light of all that heavy lifting we've just done and all of that conflict and and again uh uh you know the issue of uh the issue of the age of the earth is very controversial um i I I know with Hugh, um, he has had many times. I count. I can't count the number of times, even since I've worked at RTB, where Hugh is invited to speak at maybe an evangelical church, and young Earthers say, "You can't have him here. You can't have him come. Uh, he holds to an old Earth view. That is the equivalent of secular science." So. It's controversial, and and obviously, it's controversial for another reason because a, a secularist may come along, and some secularists are are apologists in their own right. They're apologists of naturalism and atheism, and they come along and say, "Well, isn't this interesting? This religion you call Christianity—that's the one true faith. How can you have so many conflicts, contradictions?" Is is the Earth old or young? Did God use evolution or not use evolution? What about all this bickering back and forth? And so much so that in my latest book, Christianity Cross-Examine, uh, 
I even have a chapter entitled, Is Christianity Hopelessly Divided? Now, one of the things I, I said on the previous show is, uh, no, there is a there is a unity. You know, when I was Catholic, I recited the Apostles' Creed. Then I became a Protestant. I was as part of a number of Protestant churches, a Lutheran, Reformed, and Anglican. We recited the same creed. I've never been in, uh, in the branch of, of Orthodoxy, but they have. They also have the creed. So there's a there's a lot of unity. Now, in, in light of that conflict that we've talked about um, and the importance of unity, I mean, when I do apologetics, when I do theology, I try to think about three things, and listeners of our program will, will know I've said this many times. I try to present the truth, uh, whatever it is, but then I, in, in a Christian context, I say, it, it, here's my case for why we can believe in an old earth, but I I, I want to recognize a second issue, and that's unity. Um, I believe in truth, and I'll defend it, but I am concerned about unity, and I tried to I try to talk with other people, maybe who aren't old earthers, that we still have a lot of common ground. And then thirdly, and by the way, all of these are distinctive features. Well, I don't want to say distinctive features. All of these are part of the RTB core value. So I've talked about truth and unity, and then there's the C word, charity. Um, if you're going to do apologetics, I think you, you have to contend for the truth, Jude 3. You have to, uh, you know, you have to go at arguments. As Paul, the apostle says, you have to make a case. But I think we also have to be concerned with unity. And... Uh, we have to treat people charitably. Uh, remember the uh, mandate of apologetics is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready. Always be ready. That's not always easy to always be ready. Always be ready to give to every man an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. But you're to do that task with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. Um I will be the first one to admit that uh, I have at times lost my cool. I like to think that I'm a winsome guy. I like to think that I'm not a bulldog. Somebody the other day said, well, you're St. Augustine's bulldog. And I thought, hmm, I'm not sure that's a compliment because I don't like to think of my personality as being a bulldog. But you know, there are some people who think I am. Um, gentleness, uh, you know, Keeping a, a clear conscience, um, you know, there there have, to be perfectly candid, there have been times in my apologetic career on, in debates, on programs, even just in conversations where I thought later my, my apologetic was kind of weak. Uh, sometimes I thought it was uh, kind of wimpy. Other times I thought, uh, you know, that it was argumentative. Now, the good news of all that is uh, the gospel doesn't depend on Ken Samples. It depends on the truth of, of God. It depends on the spirit. I'm simply saying that there are times where you can uh, 
you can go wrong by being contentious, not contending for the faith, but being a contentious person or not being a, a kind person. I remember years ago, I uh, started teaching logic and had to kind of uh, have some kind of mastery of the logical fallacies. And I went home and uh, my wife was talking and I caught her in a informal fallacy and I discovered uh that's not a good thing to do. Uh, you want to you wanna be gracious. Uh, now, in, in light of all that tension, I, I actually want to uh, I want to give you a hum- what I think is a humorous story. You'll decide whether whether you think it's humorous or not. So so here's a story. The story is that three men are stuck in an elevator. Can you imagine that? Uh, by the way, we've got an elevator here at RTB. We've got two floors in the uh, RTB HQ. There's two floors, and uh, all three of us work on on uh, the second floor. Um, so there have been occasion when I'm carrying a lot of books, I'll come up the elevator uh, rather than walking up the stairs. But imagine three people get stuck in an elevator. That that can be pretty concerning. What if you had claustrophobia, but you know, it might be pretty good if the two people you were stuck in the elevator with were people that you really wanted to engage with. Well, here's the story. Three people get stuck in an elevator and here are the three people. They're all three Christians, but uh, their apologetic emphasis is somewhat different. So here's the three. The first is Ken Ham. Uh, Ken Ham, by the way, is uh, the president of Answers in Genesis. He is uh, he is a Christian. He has strong biblical views. Uh, I think he's he is very articulate, and he is a staunch defender of not just Christianity in general, but a specific young Earth perspective. And uh, Hugh has debated him. A number of others, Jeff Swearing, uh, Ken Ham is well known. Um, as a defender of conservative Christianity, biblical Christianity, young earth Christianity. The the second person in the uh, elevator is Hugh Ross. Hugh, of course, is, uh, well, I I think uh, William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland, who are two distinguished Christian Christian philosophers, um, by the way, they've even been selected as two of the most influential philosophers alive today. Well, I know that Bill Craig, William Lane Craig, and J.P. Moreland, I know J.P. more intimately than I know Bill, although I've talked with Bill. Um, J.P. and I have a pretty close friendship, I'm happy to say. Well, both of them have said, uh, Bill Craig and J.P. Moreland have said, they think that Hugh Ross is is maybe the most important Christian apologist doing science faith issues today. I think that's that's quite a that's quite a compliment to Hugh. Uh, it says something about his education. It says something about his his communication skills. It says something about the way he does apologetics. And uh, in our previous program, if you haven't listened to it, I I talked about two people who had a, a great influence on me. My my first influence maybe my biggest influence apologetically, was Walter Martin. 
uh, he was my boss. And, and then later in my career, Hugh Ross was my boss and, and he is a mentor to me as well, but they're very different. Uh, Walter was uh, general Patton. Um, some people have said that Walter was uh, like Tertullian. Um, he wasn't always right, but he always had a full head of steam. Walter was, he was commanding and, uh, I liked it, but I, I also uh, was in, has been have been intimidated by it. Um, I would say Hugh is a lot more like General Bradley, very competent, uh, a bit on the quiet side, but but very skilled, uh, strong in a in a in a different kind of way. So you got two people there: Ken Ham, Young Earth, Hugh Ross, Old Earth, and then you have a third one. Oh, who is this? J. R. R. Tolkien. So what happens in the uh, elevator is uh, a a vigorous debate breaks out between uh, Ken Ham and Hugh Ross over the age of the earth. So they're debating for a long time. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Tolkien's just kind of sitting there quiet in the background. And so uh, Ken Ham and Hugh Ross can't agree about young earth older. So so finally, Hugh Ross says, uh, Professor Tolkien, you haven't said anything. Uh, you've obviously heard Ken Ham is defending a young earth. I'm defending an old earth. Uh, where do you stand? And uh, Tolkien says, I prefer a middle earth. <laughs> an old earth and a young earth. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I'll let you decide how funny or not funny that is. I like to break the tension by... Uh, and I'm a big Tolkien fan. Uh, I, I also like to make the joke that what happens when you uh, uh, when you cross Molina and Tolkien, you get uh, Middle Earth knowledge. So another little inside little, inside joke there. <laughs> inside joke. I'll let you figure that one out. Well, let's uh, let's let's get serious again. Talked about the two books. Um, but here's the other core values that uh, are reflected in RTB, and they're not unique to RTB. They're biblical views, and they're reflected, I think, generally by most people who do apologetics. One of them is co-joining apologetics with evangelism, not seeing apologetics as an entity in itself. Uh, I think philosophy and apologetics are interesting in themselves. I, I think as well that I, I think the, the natural sciences are, are one of the greatest invention of human beings. I tip my hat. Um, I, I am not, I'm not a STEM type of person, generally speaking. Uh, math and science are challenging to me. Um, I guess I would prefer philosophy or history or some particular area. But when we do apologetics, whether we have a philosophical focus, a scientific focus, or a literary focus, over the years, I've become more intrigued by Lewis and Tolkien and others who tend to kind of use literature. But there are other, there are other approaches uh, to apologetics as well. But apologetics shouldn't stand on its own. It's it's not an independent discipline. It is, after all, a branch of theology. So what are you defending? I'm defending the faith. I'm defending the historic Christian faith. I'm defending the historic Christian faith that's rooted in scripture. 
So apologetics, your head, evangelism, your heart. Or as we like to say at RTB, apologetics serving evangelism. Mm. I want to break out the arguments. I want to reason and reason vigorously. But it is ultimately with the hope that uh, these won't just be logical and scientifically cogent, but it will say something uh, about the truth of Christianity. Mm. And so we tie that together. Dave? Just a comment about uh, Hugh and and the, re the reason that we have this as a core value. Uh, as many of you know, I uh, and Hugh became colleagues together at Caltech when he first arrived from uh, his PhD work in Canada. And um, it was in that context that uh, we discovered that we were both Christians. But the thing that always struck me about Hugh as we developed in our relationship and were involved in some uh, church ministry together was that his primary motivation was evangelism, mm. that science was a tool that he was able to use to win people's heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's why we have that core value here. We're not just a bunch of scientists who are giving evidences, uh, but we're our goal, our primary goal is how can we win people's heart for Christ? You, you know, that I'm so glad you mentioned it. And again, uh, so glad you mentioned it because you have a, a longer and in some ways an even deeper connection to Hugh. You you knew him when he was just came to America, when he was you and he were both working at Caltech. Um, you know, and you you you've seen Hugh as an evangelist. I remember um uh, Back in 1997, I talked with Hugh. Hugh and I had met at the Christian Research Institute in the early 80s, um, and we had invited him to come there to give talks about science faith. And I talked with him briefly, and I told him, I said, you know, Hugh, I really like what you're doing. I uh, I like your emphasis. I appreciate that you're uh, you're devoted to the truth of scripture, but you're also uh, a person of reason and the way you approach science. And uh, then I, I didn't see him for a number of years. Uh, I was just kind of a, uh, a, a fan of RTB and, and what they were doing, admired it. Uh, then in 1997, we connected again and, and Hugh uh, asked me if I would consider coming to work at Reasons to Believe. And, and, and in those days, in 97, Hugh was the only staff apologist. Uh, he had other staff members, and, and of course he had a long association with you, Dave. But in terms of the organization, uh, I was kind of the second apologist to kind of come on board. But I remember I was at Talbot School of Theology where I received my master's degree. And uh, Hugh had given me an invitation. He says, think about it, pray about it. And if you're interested, come over and we'll do an interview. And, you know, we'll talk about the possibility of you becoming a uh, part of the staff. So I was thinking about it and praying about it, talked to my wife about it. You know, and I, I remember telling my wife, Joan, I said, you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know if I'm a really a good fit. I'm not a scientist. And my wife's response is, yeah, but you do need a job. Um, so thank, I'm always thankful for the practicality of, uh, my wife, but I, I remember that I was, uh, 
I was visiting over at Talbot and uh, I bumped into Robert Sosi, who is one of my professors, probably, uh, well, I would say the most important professor I had in seminary was, was Robert Sosi. He was a systematic theologian and we kind of struck up a friendship. And uh, so I said, Bob, uh, you know, uh, I have a possibility of becoming a staff member at Reasons to Believe. And I, I said, do you have any advice or, you know, what do you think? Um, and he said something very interesting. He said, you know, I don't always agree with you, Ross. There are areas where I differ with him. Uh, you know, he's old earth and I'm young earth. But he said, you know, I really have to hand it to you, Ross that man is an evangelist mm. because I've seen him at work and uh, uh, he says, I have a lot of admiration. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, here is another person I respect uh, in that kind of context. Well, let me, let me emphasize a few more things because our time's getting away from us. Um, not, not only do we have the, or, the RTB core value of the two books, not only do we have apologetic serving evangelism, and, and we've also talked about with gentleness, respect, keeping a clear conscience. Not everybody's perfect in doing that, and I certainly am not perfect. There are times where I wish I would have been more winsome, uh, but uh, ultimately we trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who, who allows uh people to to move toward faith. But I want to mention two other ideas that I think are really important. Uh, one thing that's meant a lot to me at RTB is because of the two books, then I can affirm that all truth is God's truth. Uh, and I've, I've mentioned this before. When I was a young evangelical Christian, remember I grew up kind of nominal Catholic, took my faith seriously, became an evangelical Protestant. But my early days of Christianity as, a, as an adult, um, I was going to, I was studying philosophy at college, and I, and I was going to a church that uh, was a little bit on the anti-intellectual side. So at church, we never talked about reason. And at school, we never talked about faith. And I, I kind of started to think, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Because I, I like to think I'm a man of faith and reason, and I, I seem to be in conflict. Fortunately, I, I had some good professors even there who pointed the way back to this two books idea. And when I studied the two books idea, it helped me because I, I was then able to say that all truth is God's truth. So if I find truths in philosophy, um, I can trust them because... That book, the book of nature, come, also comes from the hand of God. If I find truth in Scripture, if they're properly interpreted, the truths of logic or the truth of mathematics, the truth of science, they're going to cohere with the theological truths of the Bible. And that really, that excited me because I like philosophy. I like logic. I like history. And I like thinking that when I find a truth with a lowercase t, that ultimately it will lead me to the truth with the capital truth t jesus is the way the truth and the life after all and one more point uh and this is a very strong feature that i uh, that all of us have have learned uh 
from Hugh's example. And that's testable truth that uh, we believe that when you make claims about historic Christianity, uh, that there is a way of evaluating them, um, that there is a way of, of evaluating the, the claims that Jesus made. Was he resurrected or not? Uh, is there evidence to look at? And what I love about the New Testament, what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ, is he invites us to take a look at that evidence. And if Christianity says the universe had a beginning, and if Christianity says that the universe designed, we can look at the book of nature and see if that that coheres. So let me uh, let me kind of close things, guys, by saying that I think apologetics is a very important discipline, uh, a discipline of theology, a very important enterprise. And um, I, I am very blessed by working at RTB because I believe that there is a real attempt. We don't do it perfectly, but it's, it's our attempt to use apologetic arguments, in, especially in science, but in other areas as well, uh, to show the, uh, the integrity of God's word, to show the truthfulness of it. And uh, I've written a number of books in the field. So has Hugh Ross. So have my other colleagues, Fazrana, Jeff Swearing. Um, we have a lot of resources. So, uh, Joe, that's kind of a summary of uh, apologetics and RTV's apologetic values. Very good. Thank you for that. I think uh, people will find it helpful. Uh, just to mention a few of your books in case people have not uh, read them yet. Uh, some of your latest include Christianity Cross-Examined. I think that's the, the latest one. Uh, just before that, Classic Christian Thinkers, uh, God Among Sages, Seven Truths That Changed the World, A World of Difference. We've talked about these on various podcasts, but uh, those are books that uh, we highly recommend and sure hope uh, people will pick them up and give them a read. As we've been mentioning, Ken, here's another comment that's come in via social media regarding God Among Sages. It says, uh, Ken, God Among Sages is a fantastic book. When I read this five years ago, it was one of my first forays into apologetics. Wow. Very impactful. Tyler Cello, if I got that right. So thank you for that, Tyler. And then here's another comment that's come in. Ken, you do great work. It is the humble spirit that desires to argue with grace and fairness. That is the best work I learned from you, oh, David boy. L. Shelton. So very nice uh, compliment there from David as well. Thank you for uh, those comments. And you can via his Twitter handle, at RTB underscore K samples. Uh, again, at RTB underscore K samples. Don't miss any episodes of Straight Thinking. You can subscribe to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify, and you'll get an episode delivered to you each week. That will wrap it up for Ken and Dave. This is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Straight Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.